3: I'm no good at taking good advice And I'm self-careless, so don't tell me twice That lately I've been so stuck in my head That I forget just about everything my therapist said Maybe I'm self-helpless Maybe I'm
4: self-helpless Maybe I'm self-helpless. Maybe we are self-helpless.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Self-Helpless podcast. I'm Delaney Fisher and I'm recording this intro during the holidays. Our team is on break, our wonderful guests are on break. So, we are sharing a compilation episode with you all about relationship stuff. You will be hearing from some past guests spanning from like the past six plus years who are incredible therapists, relationship experts, and just wonderful people who are opening up about their relationship obstacles, offering practical tips and resources, lots of phenomenal takeaways, and not just about romantic relationships either, but also familial friendships, uh, all that good stuff. So here are the people who you will be hearing from in this episode in order that you will be hearing from them. First up, we have Greg Barrett, co-author of He's Just Not That Into You, sharing an amazing quote. That's great for you if you are in a murky spot in your relationship. Perhaps it's undefined. Um, He also shares the strategy and intention behind his book titles, which was great. Then we have Dr. Viviana Coles from the show Married at First Sight, who breaks down the different intimacy styles we have and why it's very different um, from something like The Five Languages. Sexologist Goody Howard, who shares the difference between fetishes and kinks and gives tons of simple tips for keeping things exciting in the bedroom when you find yourself kind of in a rut uh, in a long term relationship. Uh, Most of these tips are free, by the way, they're fantastic. Comedian Ken Gar, who opens up about his experience with codependency and being in recovery for that and what codependency can actually look like in a relationship. So if you find yourself in a pattern where you are dating the same type of person over and over again, and you are not happy with that same result, pay extra close attention to this one for sure. Communication expert featured on Married at First Sight, Rachel DiAlto, and she really drives home the importance of having tough conversations and that it's okay to be bored in your relationship sometimes, just not too boring and not all the time. Um, And gives lots of great tips for long distance relationships as well. Licensed therapist Katie Morton, who explains learned helplessness and not only how to break toxic patterns, but she also reframes this concept of toxicity, which I thought was really awesome and so important. Certified sex addiction therapist, Dr. Alex Katahakis, who educates us on hypersexuality and sex and love addiction. And... How intensity in relationships can actually be mistaken for intimacy, and how much damage and trauma that can cause. She also gives some amazing resources if you are struggling with this, with this kind of addiction, um, or you're in a relationship with somebody who struggles with this as well. Licensed psychologist and sex therapist Dr. Kate Ballastreary, who dives deep into enmeshment trauma and how that really impacts every single relationship. Someone uh, who has you know this experience and this trauma. How it just affects literally everything. Um, if you have a pattern of getting the ick with romantic partners, and that seems to keep happening, it might actually be connected to this type of trauma. So definitely uh, pay, pay close attention to that one as well. And yeah, Dr. Kate just gives so much life changing info there. So please enjoy some of our incredible past guests.
5: You wanna do it? Okay, cool. Yeah, get
0: it. <laughs> I like to intro the intro, yeah. Greg. So <laughs> Delaney's yeah. letting me do it this week. Yeah. Delaney usually takes it. Yeah, a white chocolate. Are you the hype girl for the yeah. intro? I try. I bomb every intro I've ever done. Yeah, um, sure. So, like, they're nice enough to let me do it, like, once every six episodes. Yeah. And, yeah, it, I, I tank it hard. This they is feel this like...
6: my
1: impression of Delaney doing the intro.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, we're doing it. This is happening. Uh, the podcast
1: <laughs> is occurring. She okay. says it's podcast time <laughs> a lot.
2: <laughs> it's podcast time. It's, you know yes. what? It's a really unnatural thing to announce it your own is. podcast, it feels like. Yeah. I don't like it either. And I are like, and I'm Greg Barron. I don't, who cares? Don't they know? (laughs) They already know. If they came this far, like nobody came here by accident. (laughs)
6: hey everybody welcome to the <laughs> self helpless podcast we are so excited because we have an amazing guest if you've been listening to it since the beginning uh you listened to our first episode in which delaney talked about her first self-help book ever mm-hmm. which was it's called a breakup because it's broken
2: that's so funny yeah
0: yeah yep. i was 19 yeah. seriously that life. book helped me through one of the most traumatic times of my life i was so desperate to just feel better that right. i i went i was like i called my mom like what do i do how does this work what do i do she's like go to the bookstore go to the self-help section pick something fun that looks cool and i saw the pink um, you know with the little ice cream on it i was like this is for me <laughs> and then yeah i read it in you know a, a day probably and um yeah. i did everything that it said and it did it did help like it eventually got better
2: and they're all, nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, what I, right. what I said wasn't any different than anybody else has said. Right. It's just that I happened to say it at the right time. I was a cast member from Sex and the City, so I had the trust of the people who watched that show. I was on Oprah. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh, I wasn't, yeah. a do- I wasn't Dr. Phil. I wasn't somebody who'd studied relationships. I was right. just a friend. It was coming from a person who, impo- somebody goes, I don't like your book. I go, I don't fucking care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to start yeah. a cult. You know. Right. <laughs> Um, I'm not not invested in some sort of you know pyramid scheme uh, thing and um, uh, so it's just right time right place.
6: If you look at you know your three books it's called The break because it's broken he's just not that into you and it's just a fucking date all of your <laughs> titles like are helpful in and of themselves yeah. yeah like just reading like he's just not that into you someone's gonna read just the front and just go like oh my god you're right yeah <laughs> it's just exactly helpful in yeah. fact i
2: i had opinions about self-help books but i didn't realize we were going to write one but when we did my feeling about it is that they're always too long. There's always information you don't care about. There's a lot of mm. unnecessary work to make them feel weighty. And usually they are things that people can't pull off, you know. Mm. People have a lot going on in their lives and they want their fucking answer and they want it yeah. now. Yeah. So Love I it. like to say we put it on the cover. <laughs>
6: <Yeah>. <laughs> like you. I mean, yeah.
2: I wanted to write just one page that said if you're holding if you're standing in a bookstore holding this book, put it down and go home and break up with your boyfriend.
0: Whoa. Yeah. Oh, if you have a question about it, it's probably not working.
2: Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And and the the short of it is too is that like when people buy those books initially, like the people that bought it because it, it was on Oprah, are people who want to be are interested or are part of a phenomenon or maybe they've had this thought. But the people who buy those books initially are in crisis. Mm. Yeah. And they yeah. don't care about why you came up with your theory. They don't <laughs> care about who you are. They're not interested. <laughs> Half the time, people are like, "Oh, that's you." Yeah yeah oh yeah. like they're just they wanted to know oh which one of these is me you know yeah, it's like a, yeah. and it's what like do i a, do a, a magic eight ball yeah and um and so um so get to the fucking answer and then be done
1: yeah
6: right. Right. because the
2: more you complicate it if it's complicated it's not a solution
6: yeah yeah
2: my friend beth lapidus had, uh, had a great phrase which is the lack of yes over time equals no
0: Wow. Yes. Yeah, that is a
2: good one. When you want to see somebody, like, are you around next Tuesday?
7: Right. Right. That's what that sounds like. That's what a
2: plan sounds like. I'll call you means I don't know if I'm ready for this kind of intimacy.
7: So the four intimacy styles, which are also the four motivations behind people wanting to have sex are bonding, giving, release, and responsive. And there's no order. There's no like prioritization of the they're all very, very important facets of having a very healthy, rounded out intimacy style. And the reason that I think it's important to point out those is because for a lot of people, they are going after their own needs and desires when they're going into sexuality, especially if they're initiating, but they're not really understanding that their partner might have a different perspective on it. Now, it is a lot of people are like, oh, it's like the five love languages. No. It is, okay. <laughs> it, yes, but no. Yes, in the sense that the five love languages helps couples to really understand how to show love, especially emotional intimacy with their partner. And that is huge. I love it. It's been around since 1992 and it is still way up there as far as the things that I recommend for couples to look at and, and learn about. The four intimacy styles is different because I'm asking you to include all four preferably in a very balanced, like 25% of each into every sexual experience. Now, that is ideal. It doesn't always happen that way. And as long as overall, you're looking at the balance being there and having a rounded out intimacy style, then you should be fine for the long-term because what that will do is make sure that you're getting your own needs met and your partner's needs met through the ups and downs of a long-term committed relationship. So bonding is those people who experience a sense of connecting and bonding with a partner through sexual intimacy, through that physical exchange. And they don't tend to experience it as much in any other way or for any other reason. So these are the people that say, I always feel closer to you after we've had sex. Got it. Okay. Okay. And then with um, release, so release would be the one where it's all about the physiological experience of ecstasy, of that euphoric feeling of man, my body feels like it has released all the tension. I feel like I can think clearly again. And thank you for being a part of that. Mm -hmm. Giving is for those people who feel like I get so much gratification from giving you pleasure. Mm -hmm. I, I feel this rush whenever I know that I'm giving you a sense of pleasure. It's, it's euphoric. It's all of that good stuff. So, and then responsive, this is the one that gets a little bit judged (laughs) of all of the motivators. Responsive people tend to be those who they're not, they don't have sex at top of mind. They're not the ones that tend to initiate. They're not the ones that, um, they'll experience some urges here and there but they're not desiring sex on like an upper sort of plane. It's, it's one of those things that's lying dormant until their partner says, Hey, I want to connect with you. Let's have sex. And they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, let's do it. And they don't, they don't regret it. They don't feel like, Oh gosh, I wish I was doing something else, but it's not at top of mind. So a lot of times I get people who come in and they're like, Oh my gosh, my partner is just so responsive. That's all they ever do. It makes me feel less than I can see why they would, because oftentimes they can feel like they're doing something to their partner instead of with their partner or for them. Right. And that's why I'm always telling my response clients. I'm like, Hey, it's really important that you hold on to some of that because it's great to be somebody who's not always chasing, 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 um, but you do need to show your partner that it's not something that is only important to them. Right. Oh,
0: wow. Have you noticed any specific tips or tools that help people kind of maintain the intimacy? Like once they reach to a good point or how can like, we build that accountability in,
7: you know, to our relationship. So I'm glad that you said that you have to build the accountability in, and most people find this very controversial and we can go back and forth on it. But if it's a problem for you, you need to be scheduling time together. Even if it's on your calendar, but it's not on your partner's, that's okay. As long as it gets done, as long as it's something that you have carved out time for and it happens, who cares how it happens? Nobody's going to fault you for putting, for investing and planning time with your partner. Um, Some people say, oh, it takes the spontaneity out of it. Well, if you have lots of spontaneous sex, then you don't need to schedule it. (laughs) This isn't for you. (laughs) You're not looking this up if that's the case. Exactly. So I'm a big fan of scheduling. I think it's important to do that, especially when you're a busy person. Even if you're not, it's nice to have something to anticipate and look forward to.
3: What are fetishes and do we all have them? Oh, everybody does so Ooh. the difference first let me tell you the difference between a fetish and a kink because a lot of times yes. we do those like you know same z's and they're not um uh, so a fetish is sexual attraction to an object or thing okay whereas okay. a kink is an atypical sexual behavior okay okay so So the behavior, so there's some things that are both a kink and a fetish. Like if you're a furry, right? A plushie, people that dress up in the mascot costumes,
7: Mm -hmm. that is
3: both a kink and a fetish. It's a fetish because the costume is what makes them feel uh, their most unique, authentic selves. But it's a kink because they have a whole community and they have their own ways of interacting with each other. And they have their own, like, you know, it's a culture. So it's a kink and a fetish simultaneously. Some other things that are kinks that are very common are like choking, spanking, um, you know, rougher sex, Um, things like that are very, very common uh, kinks that people have, calling your partner daddy, like things like that. Those are very common kinks. Okay. Okay. Uh, Common fetishes can be like a foot fetish or like a pregnant girl fetish. Or maybe you have a race fetish or a size fetish, like a body size fetish. Like so they're very common things that people don't necessarily even think are kinky or that are fetishes that we absolutely have and do and are. Right.
1: Mm. <laughs> right. Maybe even just like people who are into blondes versus brunettes.
3: That is absolutely a thing. Uh, or like tattoos and beers.
1: I was curious too. I think I asked Dr. Drew about this at one point years ago, but You know, foot fetishes have become so popular, and yet we don't hear that much about like an elbow fetish or a kneecap fetish or
3: an. There are things. Those are things. And I will tell you. Oh, interesting. If you put, like, I have a tattoo on my elbow. So if you tattoos become erogenous cells because Mm -hmm. of that repeated needle to skin, and then it's sort of like it's an unconscious, a subconscious area of focus for you. But if your partner begins to kiss and lick on your tattoos, you it it feels different to you than if they like. I have a tattoo on this side of my shoulder and I don't have one over here. If someone puts their mouth on this shoulder, it goes down. If they put it over here, it's it's, it's cute, but it doesn't hit the same.
0: <gasps> oh, oh, I know, know what I'm, I'm doing just...
3: tonight. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> tattoos <laughs> and they're fresh. <laughs> Listen, okay. Well, well, wait till they're healed. Now are they healed? is in the last like several months. <laughs> okay. Yes. So what happens is it also gives your partner something to focus on. They can trace the tattoo with their tongue. And so it can be very intentional. This tattoo right here, I have had this t- tattoo kissed and licked on, and I thought I was going to die. <gasps> so it may be the tattoo fetish of it all, right, of how I discovered that that's a thing. Mm-hmm. This elbow is not the same as this elbow, right? Right. But there are different like fetishes of different parts of the body, like the knees. Um, the elbow is called the weenus. The skin on the elbow is called the weenus. Yeah. <laughs> so like the weenus fetish. um, yeah. You know, necks, nipples, ears, mm-hmm. mouths, all of those things. There's so many different kinds of fetishes. And even with a foot fetish, it's levels to that, right? Like some people like, oh, I just love pretty toes and a nice shoe. Like that's just some sexy shit. Mm-hmm. Some people actually want to put their dick in the shoe. Some people yeah. actually want to put like a, a, a hollow dildo on the heel of the shoe and be fucked with it some, that's a shoe fetish, and that's yeah. not necessarily a foot fetish, but, or some people want you to like put your feet together and like stroke their penis with your feet. Like, so it's so many levels to fetishes as well,
0: yeah. um,
3: that it's just really interesting how they develop and how they are expressed.
0: What are some of the most unique fetishes or kinks that you've
3: come across in your line of work that you really haven't heard of much? Um. Well, I, I know people that have like splooshing fetishes, which is food fetish, right? But this one uh, client, he actually liked to make, like, cake batter and put it in, like, a long jar and just, like, fuck the cake batter.
8: Mm-hmm.
0: And an like an American oh. pie type of moment. Yeah, 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 but it
3: was batter, though, not, like, the warm pie or the warm right. cake. Like and I feel like aesthetically that makes sense because he still has the confines of the long jar, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, for whatever orifice he's trying to imagine that it is. And then you also get, like, the texture of the cake batter and the sounds and all of that so I mean I was like in my head that is a great alternative if he, it was very specific it has to be cake batter it can't be like biscuit batter or pancake batter I guess there's like a specific texture that he's looking for um, he doesn't put it in the microwave or Like it was really like that like that. or um, a guy that used to fuck watermelons watermelon that seems like it could hurt <laughs> <laughs> and he, we talked about he, he wanted to tell his partner about his fetish and he wanted his partner to like the watermelon like oh and so we were talking more about how he could introduce that to his partner and less about the fetish itself yeah um, but yeah. yeah i was like okay because I, I, I had so many questions but i was like I, is it, are they seedless is it like a sweet watermelon is or do you eat the watermelon after interesting he, those are the two that really stand out and they're food oriented and i think it's important to point out that um splooshing and sex with food can get very complicated very quickly um, for internal, for people with vulvas, yeah. um, okay. for penises, you know, you can rinse it off and it's fine. Um, with internal, food gets very complicated very quickly. And so I always tell people to make sure that there's no sugar, fructose, sucrose, any of that involved in it. Um, if, if you're inserting it into your body, try to put it in a condom first and then insert so that you're not actually getting any transference. Um, and just make sure you're cleaning, you know, with soap and water afterwards, because you're gonna be at the doctor trying to explain why you got Fruit Loops in your pussy, and <laughs> no one's gonna be able, you know, what I'm saying. And it's, and that's why people participate in fetishes and get and get sick and stuff because they don't want to go to the doctor if something goes awry.
7: Yeah.
3: Yes. So you know, if you begin with the end in mind and put the Fruit Loops in a condom first, yeah, then you know you can kind of have a better outcome. You mentioned approaching a partner about a
0: fetish. How would you mm-hmm. recommend somebody do that? If they are really shameful about it, they've never told their partner,
3: what are some steps to take? Um, first, I would say, make sure it's something that you want to share. Because a lot of times fetishes can be very private, especially the ones that people feel a certain protectiveness around. Right? Mm-hmm. So make sure that it's a fetish that you want to share. Make sure it's something that you want to invite someone else into. Um Because maybe they're thinking that their partner will be freaked out or grossed out or turned off or what have you. So so be clear that you want to share it. Um, And then I would suggest showing them some sort of media around the fetish if it's something uh, maybe more commonplace. You, You can Google like movies with balloon fetish or movies with clown fetish or movie with whatever. And you can like, you know, in this day and age on the Internet, you can like watch the movie together and be like, oh, babe, what do you think about that? To kind of get their reaction so it's not you first oh smart right yeah and then, then based on their reaction decide if you want to move forward or um there are lots of like shows like you know sex cells and and other shows like that that may highlight something that you're into so just I would say get some sort of media that's a third party and then like watch it with them and be like what did you think about that or and I always fall on the sword for this for people listen if you don't know, if you can't find media or you have something that you want to talk to your partner about DM me and ask and let me know. And then I'll make a video about it and post it on Instagram or YouTube. And you can be like, Oh my God, I saw this video. Watch this and tell me what you think. Because then it's still not you, you know, it's, it's, it's you, you're approaching it to kind of see what their, what their response is going to be before you just kind of open up your coat and show them it's you. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Because I think the biggest part of the shame and stigma for people is that they're going to be rejected once they share. Yeah. So that kind of takes the onus off of you having to be the person with this desire and just kind of gauging your partner's reaction as a result.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. What are a few things that you could recommend to people who are looking to broaden their sexual horizons? Maybe people who aren't, Super tapped into their fetishes or kinks or anything like that. Maybe you know long term couples, people who
3: maybe have fallen into a rut. You know Mm, 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 anything mm. like that? Vanilla (laughs) folks. And I and I and I say this because people because I'm a sexologist. People think that I do all the things. Okay, knowing all the things and doing all the things very different. Yeah. And I I tell you I'm not vanilla, but I'm like. Cookies and cream. <laughs> like, a, mostly vanilla, but there's a little razzle for right? I'm not out here. You know, We're not out here, Rocky Road. We're not. At all. At all. No. <laughs> you know, maybe mint chip on a good day. Yeah. You know, we are not, but for people that are like, like you said, long-term couples, things like that, or you're just kind of curious to where to start, the first two, the, I, I can tell you probably five things that are like low-hanging fruit that people probably don't even think of. The first one is change the time of day that you're having sex. Mm. Ah, oh, that's a great that's Most one. Most of us that have sex great. at night. Yeah. That's <laughs> right? a great yeah. One. Daytime sex is the best. Yeah. Especially people with kids. Oh my God. These kids will ruin it for you. Okay. When your yeah. kids are at school. <laughs> yeah. Working from home now or what have you, take a PTO day, whatever you gotta do. But change the time of day that you're having sex. Change the part of your home that you're having sex in. Oh.
7: Yeah, you yeah, pay yeah. for
3: the whole house. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know what i'm saying give the kitchen floor some action see what the <laughs> couch is talking about you know what i'm saying um that's very very important also get like a hotel or something uh, i really want a sponsorship from these people but dayuse.com for my american people mm-hmm. uh, dayuse.com is where you can get a hotel in the daytime from like nine to three oh. like ten to five and it's a different rate because it's not overnight oh my god God.
0: that's awesome but you can
3: do like day use yeah yeah, like basically and it's like dayuse.com it started during the pandemic because people wanted to get out of the house and work right it's work Uh (laughs) (laughs) you can like take a pto day and you and your partner go to dayuse.com and get a hotel and so now you're not in your home and it's in the daytime it's a whole nother setting you know and you look different in a hotel because you don't have to clean up later so if you want to like play with like squirting or different like things like that that that's the time to do it because you don't have to clean it up right so that's two change where and change when this is fascinating oh my god what a great takeaway yeah so so changing the time that they have sex changing the where you have sex uh changing up the positions Mm -hmm. a lot of times we stick to the three one the main three that get us together right (laughs) But but you never know what lifting a leg will do or changing the arch of the back will do or something like that so that's another one. And that's those are the three free ones, right? The next one I would say, maybe add some music, like create a playlist. Lubricant, because people think that lubricant is a commentary on your sexual function or your ability to get wet or what have you. And I'm here to tell you that not only is lubricant a safer for sex practice because it reduces friction, uh, but it creates a smoother ride between you and whoever or whatever you're having sex with. And I don't care if you are Miss Aquafina Wappity Wap 2023. That thing hits different with the ceiling fan on, okay? And so, <laughs> especially if you like using condoms and stuff like that, because rubber rubber is will dry you out. So, it's like working against your body. So, lubricant is your friend. And I'm not saying like, you know, a whole, you know, you don't have to do the whole thing. Just like a dime size amount. Um, I have, you know, those automatic hand soap dispensers?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I have
3: one of those next to my bed full of food you are oh, um, real that's incredible <laughs> you know what i'm saying so it's like <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. <laughs> just Perfect. enough to keep the party going right Amazing. and so you don't oh have God. to kind t- of think about it and it becomes part of the act especially when i hear that looks like it. if he's on my side of the bed i'm like okay <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we doing <laughs> Did
0: hey, i ever think that's a hand sanitizer instead and be like wait a minute
3: <laughs> in my bedroom that people don't go in my bed okay there you right go. right you know and my my kids, the seven year old doesn't mess with anything on my side of the bed, um, and, and the older kids know better. Yeah, because <laughs> we, we we respect closed doors in my house. So
8: yeah. <laughs>
3: if your door is closed, I'ma knock first. I expect you to knock first if my door is closed. Or your therapy bill just went up a couple thousand dollars. It's up to you. <laughs> it's up to you. The choice is yours. Um, and then adding sex toys. Adding sex toys, I think, is something that people forget about because when people think about sex toys they think about big dick shaped vibrators or dildos Mm -hmm. and they're like a little bullet you know goes a long way if you you put you know if you're if you have a vulva and you're having insertive, you know sex you put a bullet on your clit while you're getting stroked and it's a game changer if you are if you have if you're if you have if both of y'all have penises you put some lube on your testicles and put a bullet down there while you're getting fucked it's a game changer like also people with penises Nair your balls and put lube on your balls when you're getting ready to have sex. I don't care what kind of sex you're having. I don't care if you are having sex with a person with a vulva or a penis or you're having anal sex or you're having oral sex. Lube up your balls because your balls are super sensitive. And when you have that lubricant on there, it just kind of amplifies the sensation. Oh, OK so interesting fan. okay but those are great ways to kind of figure out what you like and then you can kind of explore that way get into talking about um the way you like to be talked to when you're having sex right like you know the little dirty talk those are conversations that you have upright with clothes on first okay mm-hmm. don't just start spraying stuff on people you know <laughs> right. uh, be like is there anything that you don't want me to talk you? you know what i'm saying like yeah. is, is, is there anything that's a hard no what are some hard yeses? What are some things that you think you may like in the throes of passion that you may... Like, you can call me a bitch, but I gotta be a pretty bitch. I gotta be a sexy bitch. I gotta be, you know,
8: yeah, something yeah. like
3: that. You know, a well-placed good girl goes a long way with a lot of people. Sometimes yeah. it's a it's a no for people. A good girl is a no for people. So you kind of got to just kind of talk about those things too. Um, but I think that the, the, the sexy time talk and sex toys and lubricant, like I said, changing your time, date, place, location, All of those things will help you jumpstart out of a rut or just start to explore your uh, desires and and preferences.
1: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
5: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
1: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. If you don't mind I'm talking about when it started for you, how you discovered that you were codependent, what you do now to to deal with it, all that stuff.
4: Sure. So hi, I'm Ken, I'm codependent.
6: Ken. happy to be here.
4: Uh, yeah. So I uh Like many comedians, I was recommended to go to therapy Uh, years ago when I was in Chicago. I've been in Los Angeles for six years now. Okay. And about 10 years ago, I started going to therapists. I was dating a girl who had a kid, and we were taking the kid to a therapist, and then Mm. I talked to the therapist after one of the sessions. I was just like, hey, man, I'm like, this is kind of what's been going on with me and my relationship and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, let's sit down and talk. And so he spent four years trying to convince me that I was codependent. And I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs>
7: really? You're four an idiot. Yeah.
4: So so he was like one of those therapists. I, I don't know what they're called. I'm not an expert. But he's one of those therapists who's just like, like listening and kind of guiding versus okay. like some therapists are like, this is the bug problem. You know, this is what's going on with you. So okay. he had been talking about codependency for a while. So fast forward, I am in Los Angeles. I'm dating a girl who on her very first date was just like, the love of my life just broke up with me. I'm not looking for anything serious. I just want to sleep together and just help hang out. You seem like a cool dude. And I was just like, I'm going to fix all of this.
2: Uh, <laughs> so
4: you have never dated me. Um, I'm the answer to all of your problems. We're good to go. All right. <laughs> I have a ring in
1: my pocket. Yeah, so. (laughs) Everything's good.
4: Sure enough, uh, you know, we dive into a relationship immediately and it's like going a thousand miles an hour, like every other one of my relationships goes. Like, I'm immediately in love. I'm like completely, um, a term we use for codependence is like enmeshed. Okay. Right? So, I'm attached immediately. And she did exactly what she told me she was going to do, which was just like, hey, I'm not really looking for anything. You know, she told me. She gave me all the, this is exactly what's going on with me. And so uh, she ended up uh, being unfaithful. Um, I kind of, I guess that would be my rock bottom, if you would put it in addiction terms.
1: How long into the relationship did that happen?
4: Oh, we only, I mean, the whole thing was like three months. Okay. Yeah. So did she just,
1: were you guys exclusive though?
4: So, like, I, the joke I tell on stage is, like, so she was, like, 13 years younger than me, and I'm like, like, when you're dating somebody that much younger, you become the girl in the relationship. So, for me, <laughs> I was like, what are we? <laughs> <laughs> like, just a total yeah. chick. And she's like, we're just Who cares, bro? Like, I mean, yeah. yeah. with your friends a lot. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Wait, can I ask a
6: question? Yeah. How quickly do you say, I, how quickly did
4: you say I love like, you? Like, so, like, before the check comes, on the first day I <laughs> uh, I love you. <laughs> would you like bread? I love you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, run of butter. I love butter and you. <laughs> but no. Um, so yeah. So like, I quickly fall. Like so. Like, but how quickly? Um, I would say probably within like with that particular girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third time we slept together, she said it. Which is a huge red flag. Oh yeah. Right.
6: Oh, okay. And so but how I was long just had like, you been seeing each other?
4: Oh, I mean, it was not that long, a couple a oh, few weeks. A couple weeks. Yeah. Okay, yeah. You know, but just to kind of paint the picture, right? I had just gotten out of a three and a half year relationship with the girl who moved out here with me. Mm. And before she even packed her bags and moved back to Chicago where I'm from, I was already on the dating apps. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like and this is an important thing that we'll you know, we can talk about a little bit later. Yeah. it's like that kinda of like recognizing like that you have to take some time off, you have to reboot, you have to kind of like mourn relationships as they end. Mm-hmm. And for me, the best way and for a lot of guys out there, like you mourn by like finding other girls or like because mm-hmm. what you have to do is like you can't possibly believe that like something is over and so I need to fill this hole this ego and I need to repair my ego as quickly as possible so I'm gonna start dating as many girls as possible yeah. or like getting right. on the apps or what, whatever I'm gonna right? have
6: a fuck funeral yeah exactly welcome
4: yeah. like, to fuck fest <laughs> like, is that this just, Olive Garden what are you doing? that
0: just sounds like killing the game you know yeah. I, 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 that just sounds like dating to me though like that's why like how do you know if you're just like you like to date and meet new people versus if there might be something else going on well
4: because I so I was married For just under three years, and And I who moved out here with you. No, 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 I got divorced before I moved out here. Oh, okay. Okay. And so, when I kind of got into recovery um, and started looking at this, I realized I was either involved with somebody, like meaning I was dating somebody, or I was fantasizing about somebody or pursuing somebody the entire six years. Mm. I wasn't taking any breaks. I was a relationship Uh. addict. I was a love addict. I was like, you know what I mean? So, like, let me just kind of, like, define codependence, right? So... Uh, the the textbook definition of codependence is the inability to have healthy relationships. But I'm um, codependence is really that you're dependent on external things to provide you with your self-worth, self-value, oh. right? So here I am, a guy that had kind of a shitty, weird childhood. Mm. And so I didn't develop the right kind of coping skills. And so what I did is I used either alcohol, sex, relationships, love, food, anything to kind of have that Uh, validation or making me feel good, making me feel worthy, looking outside of myself, Mm, right? And Uh so when I say recovery for a codependent, they're like, well, what does that mean? For an alcoholic, it's black and white. I don't drink anymore. Right? Mm -hmm. I don't do drugs anymore. But for codependents, it's like I'm uh, treating my, uh, codependency. So I'm uh going to a twelve step program. I'm working with sponsors. I'm going to therapy. I'm you know what I mean. I'm like I'm I'm really like I'm not looking outside of myself anymore.
6: So can I ask the yeah, codependency? Please. Does that go hand in hand with the love addiction, or do you feel like that's kind of the same thing? Yeah, because the way I've, I feel like we understood codependency on that episode, we talked about and how I've always understood it. Is, and tell me if this is wrong or right or part of it, is that when you are in relationships, um, if you're codependent, it's like the inability to put your own needs first, like you just want them to be okay so that nothing... Bad is happening. Yeah. You two. So, so, so it's all part of it. Yeah. The
4: right. So, the easier yeah. way to put it is that you make a person, place, sort or of thing your higher power.
6: Right. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's just like what this is. is the thing that's so, going to keep me okay. Instead
4: of uh, a God or whatever, or whatever I associate to be a higher power, which is what I do through a 12 step program, like every relationship I was in, that girl was my higher power. Oh.
0: I always thought it was like codependency was another person involved, but it could be codependent on like accomplishments or. Food and stuff like that. It doesn't yeah. have to be people.
4: So codependency in, in, in many – this is de- very debatable. And All of this is debatable. And I always want to say I'm not an expert on this. Right? I'm just What I would say is that um, codependency is the center of most addictions, right? Mm-hmm. right? So whether it's love addiction or sex addiction or – so I, I played whack-a-mole with a lot of addictions. So like what my journey was was that girl cheated on me. I found out because I went into her phone. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't stand not knowing, and that was the compulsion in me. And so I call. So instead of saying to you, "Hey, I know what's going on," I went out and got like blackout drunk. Mm-hmm. I was expecting to find her with whatever dude, and I don't know what I was gonna ha- what was gonna happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, but but then the next day I finally came clean because I didn't have the skill set to say to you. Hey, I know this is what's going on. We need to address it. I want to talk about what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't have it because to a codependent person, the fear of losing that person or that sense of abandonment or that sense of like it being over is far greater than anything that you're like, like we're willing to stay into it. You'll see a lot of codependent people with alcoholics or drug abusers because their their idea of being loved is me taking care of you. Mm. So if you look at my dating history, I dated literally like the same girl over and over again, which was like, you know, didn't really have a career, like not like having trouble getting on their feet. Anybody yeah. that I can just fuck, I can fix. And you're
1: like, I smell a project. Absolutely. Like this is where I can get in and do my thing. Because the more I can focus yeah, yeah.
4: on you, the less I have to focus on me. That becomes the pattern, right? Mm-hmm. So addiction is all about patterns. So then when I finally realized I was codependent, I started going to a 12-step program for it. And that's when I realized, oh, like uh, I have a problem with alcohol as well because – These relationships would end and I would go on these huge benders because I didn't have the skills to be able to say, I'm Ken and I'm sad and I'm broken hearted. Instead i just go to a bar and now I'm drunk so now I can text my ex and now I can Mm. text three exes a go and I can can do all the things that I wanted to do that I didn't have the courage to do when I was sober. And then I realized, oh well, I gotta quit drinking. And then I started playing whack-a-mole with all these addictions. You go into sex addiction and love addiction, all these things and you're just like, so At the end of the day, that's all to say, like once I got into recovery and started getting some self-worth and started feeling good about myself, um, then a lot of these addictions kind of like were in check.
0: What are some common kind of issues that you've seen and some common solutions to those issues once people implement them?
9: Yeah. And this is something I I talk about often. I, I wrote about in my book is it really always comes down to worth. In every situation, it is it is a worth issue more oftentimes than not. Uh, so the way that we show up changes based on how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about our own worthiness. And so whether you're talking about a, a corporate setting or a personal setting or a romantic setting if you don't know who you are and you are not comfortable in your own skin and, and um, just have that level of confidence, you're going to show up differently. And we all have different, you know, someone listening is probably like, crap, I don't have any of those things. And that's totally normal. And that's why, why it's so universal is like, we all have these, these challenges around self-worth and self-love. Oh, so true.
0: Out of, you know, everybody that you've helped and worked with, what is like one of the biggest transformations that, you have seen, or if there's
9: any that kind of stick out to you? I mean, my gosh, there's so many situations. Um, I think one of the most interesting ones, because a lot of times when people are talking to a coach or a therapist or, you know, someone to help them wherever they are in their relationship space, they often feel like they have to get their partner involved. And one of my biggest transformations with someone whose her, their husband was not involved and so and was completely disconnected from any sort of evolution or growth or you know all of those things but she changed so much that their entire relationship changed how he was showing up shifted even just subconsciously because she showed up differently and he started showing up better he started being a better husband being a better partner because Of her own evolution all by herself. And you just saw this woman go from, you know, in a really tough spot in a really bad place and, you know, uh, suffering from anxiety and depression and then shift out of it into this butterfly essentially. And so it changed the way everybody acted around her. And that was the, just the coolest thing. It's that ripple effect that you, you oftentimes don't even expect because you're like, I'm just working on me. (laughs) You know, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know if this relationship is going to last and now they're happier than ever. And it's a, it's a really interesting thing to see because I think oftentimes we're like, why don't you come with me? You know, why aren't you buying into this? And sometimes not to say they don't, they shouldn't, but sometimes they don't have to. Yeah, that's so interesting
0: that you don't have to have the whole family coming in for it to have a huge impact. You can really just start with yourself. What are some things that you have suggested people try to really keep that like novelty and excitement alive throughout a long-term relationship?
9: Yeah. And well, one is it's recognizing that there's going to be an ebb and flow. I think oftentimes relationships end because we think that people are supposed to be entertaining to us at all times, <laughs> And right. you know, like they're not here to entertain you. Like right. this is not a circus. They are not your monkeys, right? You know, this is not. So I think part of it's recognizing like it's going to be boring sometimes and that's okay. Yeah. So that mixed with the effort of making it not boring all the time. You know. You want, you want to like a mix. Like if you just sit around twiddling your thumbs and you're bored out of your mind, we're not going anywhere in this relationship either. But knowing that, you know, there is going to be an ebb and flow, but I can put the effort in, I can make this, you know, as exciting as I want it to be. So staycations, just going back to the basics of, you know, writing them notes, leaving flowers, uh, you know, whatever their love language is. And that's something that's really important too, is understanding everybody gives and receives differently. And so Gary Chapman's book, I think it's amazing five love languages. Everybody should read that. Everybody I feel like has at this point. (laughs) So good. So good. Yes. I'm an acts of service gal myself. (laughs) So like someone, your, your husband shows up with diamonds every day. You'd be like, that's cool. But like, could you empty the dishwasher, man? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I love the fact that it really is just
0: those simple, basic things. I think people can get really overwhelmed or they're like, oh my gosh, I have to do all these grand gestures. But when my husband surprises me with um, a cup of tea that he made downstairs, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the luckiest woman alive. You know?
9: Exactly. Really, it
0: can be so very simple. Yeah. Do you have any tips or guidance for people who are in a long distance relationship right now, whether it's because of the pandemic or
9: otherwise? What could maybe help them if they're struggling? There's so many long distance relationships out there. People are so, yes. you know, there's a lot of insecurity in it because you don't get the same interaction. You don't get the same quality time with each other, especially if quality times your love language, that's problematic. Um, so it's yeah. really two things. You have to be able to communicate what you need. And actually it's kind of three things, communicate what you need, let them know, you know, what you need to feel secure in this relationship, because there's already a breach of security based on proximity and the fact that you're not as close, you know, you don't get that same affirmation as seeing your partner once a week or once, you know, every day or a couple times a week or a couple times a month. So communicating that, putting that effort in to reach their needs, whatever that level is that you need to get to, but also have a, there has to be an end date of when the distance ends because perpetuity kills every long distance relationship when you are just in it and there's no discussion about who's moving or we are both moving or wherever the, the end goal is. We're just in a loop and then resentment builds and then it ends. And so it's so important once you've hit that stage of like, no, this is my person. I want to be with them for, you know, forever is a long time, but maybe it's, you know, I just, I, I intend to be with this person as far as I can see, you know, have those conversations and oftentimes we don't have those conversations because we're afraid of the answers, but aren't you afraid of diving into something and being, you know, three years down the road and you never talked about who would move where, and you find out that they're not going anywhere and neither neither are you.
0: Right. So. Right. And do you feel like that's, those are important, obviously. So you're not, you know, wasting your time, but also something to look forward to something to kind of build on and work towards, yeah. even though you're really far apart or not seeing each other much. Yeah. Um, when do you feel like it's kind of time for people to go their separate ways? Are there any kind of clear indicators that it's time to break up or separate or divorce or whatever it might be?
9: Yeah. I I think when the bad far outweighs the good. And there's no attempting to shift that balance. And it just, you know, you, you get to that point where there's just no good times, even when you're really struggling to find them uh, can be an indicator that this is really problematic. And, and it really comes down to, you know, is there, is there a salvageable shot here? And if there is, is there an investment? And so oftentimes, you know, and that does become problematic when there's only one person invested in, in making the effort. Um, but really, if there isn't any good left or there's a smidgen of good and nobody's actually working to grow that good, then what are we doing here?
0: Yes. What about in a long distance relationship? Are there clear indicators where like they can't, you can't solidify a date or when we're moving or... How does
9: that Yeah. Work? I mean, um, you have that conversation and and if uh, nobody's willing to compromise and that's not happening, then you have to really reassess like am I fine being apart from my partner forever? And listen, whatever you choose to do, like good on you. Like yeah. make it work, you know. You want to have a throuple, go for it. You want to be, you know, <laughs> right. across the country for the rest of your life, then if that works for you, I'm not here to judge it, but Yeah. Both parties or (laughs) a thruple, all three parties, they have to be on on the same page. And if you can't get on the same page and you refuse to to really compromise there, then again, what are we doing here? Yes.
0: All right. So a big reason why people don't work out money. That's a big one. So what has been kind of your um, experience with that, with, with couples or relationships and what are some things,
9: you know, some takeaways people can maybe implement if that's what they're struggling with? We have like this desire to put our head in the sand. And then yeah. all of a sudden we're like, wait, why is it broken? <laughs> I was like, you never <laughs> talked about it. Right. So, you know, you have to communicate and you have to talk about and, and observe. That's the other thing is, you know, you see very early on uh, and, and anyone who's ever dated someone for more than a month, you see how they spend. You see how they show up, you see what they drive, you see what they tip, you see, you know, how they're interacting with the world with their money. So you see so many things early on. Um, But then as you get into relationships, it's it's more talking about it and talking about finances. And it's not necessarily a difference in finances. It's, It's often a difference in priority. And so you have to make sure that to me, values need to align and how you spend your money shows where your values are oftentimes. And so that's something that's really important to just not only observe and be aware of, but also communicate around. Yes, that makes a
0: lot of sense, and it's interesting. You might be dating somebody, and they're like, "Oh, they're a great tipper, and they drive a nice car." And then you you get in a relationship, you're like, "Oh, you're sixty thousand dollars in debt. That exactly. is going to affect me in some way." Yeah, be like, form. "Dude, you're
9: driving a Ferrari, and you work at Starbucks. Like, what are we <laughs> right. doing here? You know? <laughs> Something's
0: not adding up here." Um, yeah. So because of COVID quarantine, there's like virtual dating that's kind
9: of amplified this last couple of years.
0: How do you do that successfully?
9: You know what I have to say? So this is the, this is my, my thing about virtual dating. I think it's awesome. It's a great filler. Like obviously just, you know, like the long distance stuff, you can't do it forever, like, you know, unless, right. unless you're okay with that again, not judging. Um, but you really do get to see somebody in a very different way than you would if you're just texting them. Cause people can hide behind their keyboards, pretend to be somebody else, show up different in their energy, everything is very different when it's just text message. So I loved that everybody started to embrace video. And I think six or 7% of people before COVID would go on a video date or even jump on a FaceTime before a date. And it went up to like, I think it was like over 80% within like three weeks, people were like, nope, nope, I'm in. Like, let me do this because it was the mother, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. But I think you can show up you just have to show up and like you are going on a date. Like people sent me screenshots and where they have, you know, the cameras in this weird angle, there's crap in the background of their room. And I'm like, dude, just clean your room. Right. You know, like it's so simple. Like otherwise, just have a conversation. Right. And the other thing too, and I have to say this, I'm like on now on my soapbox, I have to say, hide yourself hide yourself. If you are on a zoom, if you're on a FaceTime, if you're on a, like a lot of the in-apps, like match has vibe check. If you're in the app, like don't look at yourself because then you're not engaging with the other people. Oh. You're completely ignoring them. And studies show you, you actually censor yourself more. You judge yourself more and you judge them more. So it completely messes with our psyche. So hide yourself as much as possible. And I guarantee you every interaction will completely change.
0: Holy shit. I did not even think <laughs> about
9: that. I hide myself all the time. I'll move like the notes thing on my computer. I'll hide that over it. I'll That's grab a post-it so note. Scared. I don't want to see myself ever, ever.
0: Like, Oh my gosh. That is so smart. And I feel like, gosh, what a way to get out of your head when
9: you're on yes. a date.
0: And like you said- just clean one corner of your room. <laughs> I mean, come on, just a little bit of effort.
9: You know, it's Not that hard people. It's not that hard.
0: Let's say that somebody they they're, they're in a pattern and they keep kind of attracting a similar type of person. And they're just like, Oh, I just have the worst luck. And I don't know what's going on. What is something that they can kind of look at and, you know, make some changes
9: around? Well, I mean, they're choosing someone, you know. So I, I think it's really going back and uh, retrospect is awesome. So take that that look back and say, okay, what did I see early on? If you have a pattern of, you know, f boys or um, you know, non committers or narcissists or whatever it is, me and my twenties, <laughs> <laughs> like all three all of them. Um, but if you have a pattern of that, you're typically, you're seeing something and you know, it's the same thing with the financial stuff that we were talking about. You're putting your head in the sand because typically of attraction, I swear people will be like, I don't care that they've killed seven people and you know, they're, I'm going to be their eighth. Like they're really hot. And so (laughs) attraction becomes this, like this blinding light. Um, so you have to turn that off and say, what did I see beforehand? And what can I be on the lookout for moving forward? And and this is something I preach about in general, which is that intentionality. And so it is one thing to just go out there and think with your body because um, your body will respond to certain people. They they might not be your people. And so when you're intentional and in saying, I want to date someone of substance, I want to date someone with integrity, I want to date someone that's not like all the people I just dated, you have to pay attention to it. And you know, how I, I like it is I, I love me some Marshalls and TJ Maxx. However, the place gives me anxiety. Like I walk in there and I want to organize shit. And like, I'm like, you got 18 different kinds of shirts over here. Nothing's in the right spot, color coordinated, not happening. And honestly, like it, that's one of those places. If you don't know what you're going in there for, you walk out with like shampoo, a chair, and like <laughs> <It's> some candy. <laughs> so it's so However, If you walk into Marshall's or TJ Maxx and you say, I want a blue shirt. Like today is my blue shirt day. What happens? All of a sudden, that's what stands out to you.
1: What an
6: incredible analogy. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That analogy is fantastic. It's so So true. true. It's like you have to really have your, your filters on going in and being like, this is what I'm looking for. If not, it's so easy to just get swept up in that. It's like the chemical
9: thing that happens when you walk into a TJ Maxx. Same thing when you meet a guy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. I obviously need another sweater. Except I have 18 of the same style at home. Yeah. You don't need another narcissist. (laughs) There's so many
0: distractions because there's so many options of people that it's like, you're like constantly weighing the pros and cons for each type of person or lifestyle or career or whatever. So it's like, you have to step out of that kind of chaos to really get in touch with yourself. Like what is actually, what are my values with no other external kind of input? What do I give a shit about? And how can I find that? You know, who am I looking for in that sense? We have
9: reactions to people like we have yeah. a gut for a reason. And and it does take a while. And a lot of people ask, they're like, what's the difference between fear and intuition? And, and that's really practice. That's practice of trusting yourself and, and leaning into it. But there are so many times where, you know, you have a gut feeling that something's off and it oftentimes is, um, you just have to, you have to be able to ask yourself, you know, and a lot of times, unfortunately it's around an infidelity. Um, people are, you know, they, they feel something and you have to figure out like, am I just being insecure? And that's where that kind of 40 out out, 48 hour rule is, is like, okay, Mm -hmm. was I just a little, (laughs) a little off or is this something real? And, and you have to trust yourself and know that there, there are feelings and you're picking up on, it's not just like some woo stuff. You're picking up on so many subconscious cues that you can't even consciously process. So understanding that, like, energy is real. Like how you feel about someone is very real. You just have to begin to practice to to have some um, distinctions between them.
1: Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I just saw a video on TikTok. I think it was yesterday, talking about the difference in a successful relationship versus one that maybe ends is seeing somebody having um, bad character traits versus bad qualities. I think it's how they described it. I'm probably butchering it a little bit, but trying to be able to discern the difference in somebody with something they can't change about Mm -hmm. them. That's part of their character versus something like their communication is maybe not what works best for you. Can you explain that a little bit and like what you see are maybe some of the biggest reasons why relationships end or things that people have trouble changing
9: yeah and you know it's an interesting thing because obviously there are are things that are us and that is you know our character of who we are and makes us up it's our personalities a lot of that stuff isn't going to change um, but there are things like you just mentioned communication or Um, you know, attention and, and things like that, that can change. But we also don't want to invest in someone who's not willing to change because oftentimes they'll say, well, that's a, that's a malleable treat but they're not doing anything and they're not going to do anything. So then you end up in the same spot. So it's really important. Yes, there are some things that are adaptable and and can change to benefit your relationship, but they have to put that effort in to do so. And there could be somebody with really terrible communication that says, F it, like, I don't want to, like, I like the way I communicate. I'm hot, (laughs) you know? Um, Which is pretty much, you know, how like I've had conversations that sound like that with people. I'm like, okay, you live your life dude um i've got some other problems in addition to not communicating right. yeah Text i was like we're going to work only. on yeah, i'm going to just yeah. step slowly away from that situation yeah. um but you know i uh, one of the things that i i preach and and i too stand by the most is the difference between a relationship that's successful and one that's not is effort it's effort every every step of the way like we, you have to put the effort in and there was a quote that I posted recently that was, you know, the biggest mistake that you could make is meeting someone extraordinary and then starting to treat them ordinary and mm. oh. it, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Delicious. So, we got it. We got, we can't do that. If we meet extraordinary people, you have to continue to treat them like that.
3: I oh,
0: love <sighs> that. Yeah. So good. <laughs> I, I have a question. Let's let's say that somebody has recognized that they're in a like toxic relationship or something that's not working, but they feel very overwhelmed with how do I get out of this or what do I change? What do I do? What's like one baby step they can take
9: if they feel like they're kind of stuck? Support and accountability, uh, I think is so important, especially for people who feel like it's uh, just this huge hurdle or, or huge challenge. And listen, there's, there's a lot of situation that it's, it's really hard to leave, um, kids, money, um, you know, homelessness, so like there's legit things that, that really do get in the way of people leaving situations that are not only just toxic, but sometimes abusive. Yeah. And so I have so much empathy, but if you're going to take a first step, it's really finding that support system. And that could be from a friend. It could be from a family member. If it is a situation that's, you know, a far more dire and dark one, there are groups and there are organizations that are out there to help. Um, so really recognizing and just starting to reach out to the, the potential, uh, help that is around you. Not only it gives you the strength because I do think that there is a strength in that, that feeling of, I have, somebody has my back because it's not my relationship. and. Um, you know, you can have somebody who takes those steps with you so you don't feel so alone.
3: Mm. Yeah. So good.
9: Um, I have
1: one more question too. In your coaching, how common is it for you to have people come in who one partner wants kids and the other doesn't and trying to navigate that whole conversation?
9: Yeah. So I don't coach any, I haven't coached privately in probably like five or six years, but, um, I, I mean, I get questions like that all the time on my socials and obviously, you know, back when I was, that was a challenge, especially for daters, because people would say, you know, "I, I met this great person, but they don't want kids and they wanted kids. And, you know, that's a deal breaker that is not something we do not change people's minds when we are creating humans. Uh, this isn't like, uh, maybe I'll just stick around and they'll change. And I'm not saying that that hasn't happened because it absolutely has. And there's circumstances, um, that prove otherwise, but if you are entering a relationship and you know, something like that, um, you know, something that's really a huge deal, this isn't like they'll never eat peanut butter. Um, this is, uh, they do not want a child that's something you have to respect. And, uh, you know, I have a a huge challenge with people who think that they can change someone's mind on that because that there's a reason why they're, they're choosing to to do that and choosing to make that decision. And that can be explored because a lot of times, and I've heard this many times is where someone doesn't want to have kids because they had shitty parents. And so maybe that's something that Mm -hmm. they can explore and understand and maybe work through, but you can't bet on that. You know, you can't bet on somebody changing an enormous life decision, um, in order to, to decide whether or not to have a relationship with them. It has to, you have to trust people at their word when it comes to those things. And if they change and come back, then that's one thing. But if, if one party really wants and needs to have kids and the other one is not interested, the compromise is no kids. Yeah. Do you have any advice for, um, couples
1: who have kids and it has negatively impacted their marriage?
9: Yes. Um, or their relationship? Yeah. Well, one, I think your partner is still first. I, you know, I think everybody's like, all of a sudden, no, oh, this baby comes out and they go above all. And yes, they're very important. And they are a close, close second. Um, yeah. but they leave you. <laughs> they, I, like, I, I have a, my son is 21. We have 21, 18, 15, and 11. We have a blended wow. family. And I'm like, oh, my oh the 11 year old's already ignoring us. You know what I mean? So like, if, if you invest all of your attention, and everything and make it everything about the kids. All of a sudden Uh they move out and you're alone and you don't know your partner. And, and even along the way you start to drift apart because you're not putting the effort in. It goes back to, you know, what I said before about the biggest way to save a relationship and the biggest indicator of whether it's going to work is who's putting effort in. Are they both putting effort into this relationship? And if you are you're going to find time beyond just children. Yes, they, they do take over your lives, but you figure out ways to prioritize your relationship and you figure out ways to prioritize each other and you do the things that you did before you had kids. And yes, you're exhausted sometimes and yes, sometimes you get a pass, but you know, intimacy has to continue. You have to continue to put that effort in and recognize that yes, your kids are freaking important, but you're still responsible for nurturing the relationship. Are you able to share any...
0: I, whether examples from people that you've worked with or yourself of um a situation where you caught yourself in kind of like a learned helplessness pattern and then how you took baby steps to move in a different direction.
10: Yeah, I can't think of one from a patient necessarily, but I can think personally, like because I was sharing about um that relationship I had through high school, it was like a five year long relationship. And, and when it ended, my therapist was like, I want you to be uncomfortable. I found myself struggling to enjoy being, like we're talking about, it's kind of boring, right? So I would meet other guys and I would be like, oh, hmm. and it would be, I would tell my therapist about them. I'd be like, oh, I went on a date with this guy. He was super interesting. I really like him. And she was like, eh, like stop. So I didn't even, <clears throat> I don't think I noticed without her telling me. Um... And it took It took a few, I'm going to say like four or five different dates and meeting people where then I was able, because as a therapist, I know that you can't tell a patient like, oh, well, this is why it's happening. You have this pattern because of this, and this is what you're looking for because it's too much for you as the patient to absorb, right? You're like, whoa. Also it can feel, you can get defensive. You're like, get out of my head. Who are you? You don't know me. You know, we can do that kind of a thing, but she would be like, just consider why we like him so much. You've only met him twice. So that seems like a lot, like, you know, she would just, that seems like a a bit of a stretch and we don't really know. And so she forced me to like, slow down. She'd be like, I don't want you to see him this week, make plans for next week. And I want you to notice how he responds. Ah, that's really good. And so she would have homework like that. And when I say that they didn't respond well, they didn't respond to like boundaries because that was my problem is that I would get in these relationships where there was no allowance of healthy boundaries. I couldn't be my own person. I had to be completely enmeshed with them. Yeah. And, and then I would lose myself in relationships and that was just super unhealthy. And, I wish I could say as a therapist, I'm like, I know better, I do better, look at me, I noticed right away. (laughs) No, my therapist was like, whoa, 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 you know, let's let's, let's, let's take a break. Um, And so she slowed it down. And once she did that, then I realized, oh, and that was like the aha moment. I was like, I'm attracted to them because I become like the emotional, I don't even know what you wanna call it, like holder for the whole relationship. And so I, Attach quickly. I give everything I get very emotionally involved very fast. And that allows people who are not emotionally intelligent, and somewhat naive, or, you know, I don't know, assholes, um, to kind of just follow along and not have to do the work themselves.
0: Interesting. So when when you were in those patterns, did you feel like you were really getting something out of that? Like, were you enjoying it? Or you really just kind of chalk it up to kind of a learned behavior? Or did you enjoy being like, uh, the emotional one, I guess?
10: Yeah, no, I I loved it. Because as not that I'm super into Enneagrams, but I believe them a little bit. Okay. <laughs> and the enne- if anybody doesn't know, you can look into them, but I, I'm like, ai like to be a caretaker. I think it's the reason that I'm a therapist. I like to help people. I like to support and that helps me fill that role. That
0: makes a lot of sense. I, I watched one of your videos and I feel like this is something that's popping up. Um, you know, as I talk to more friends and and our community, as they share stories with us via email and stuff, there was an there is a a, um, a video that you did about how friendships kind of change, like mm-hmm. in your 30s, and you know sometimes you kind of once you start um, setting boundaries or working on yourself, the same relationships are not no longer a fit. Would you be able to share a little bit about that experience with like yeah, the friendship changes in your life or phases like that?
10: Yeah, I think. Uh, the thing that happens, whether we want to admit it or not, is as we get older, our time that we have for friends gets less and less, yeah. and that's just because of. I mean, I don't have children, and we're not going to have children, but I do have a husband, and I have a business, and we get busy. Yeah. And our twenties were more of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm figuring it out, you know. And <laughs> yeah. people are just we're we have more time therefore we have these big friend groups of people like oh we're all gonna go out to get together and you know have dinner and go dancing or whatever and depends on your lifestyle what you even if you're gaming or whatever there's tends to be more of you that have time right as we get older we have to be more selective because we don't have that time and for me during that process not only was it a time constraint but it was also just the 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 choices that we were making in life could differ greatly. Yeah. Like for example, you could have friends who don't want to stop partying or stop doing that kind of behavior and you do or vice versa. So the people who choose a different path you kind of grow away from. I think we often think of relationships ending as like it has to be like she lied to me and she did this, she talked behind my back like there has to be a fight, right? Or something horrible happens. But in my experience it's actually just you grow apart. And I think that as I've Worked on myself, especially not only did it end romantic relationships, but it ended some friendships. I was the one giving all of that energy to the relationship. And as soon as I stopped, there was nothing. I had this friendship through high school for a really long time where, and we're not friends anymore, where I, she would always call me when she needed something, but I could never get a hold of her if I needed anything. And it was this one way street always with the relationship but I didn't realize until I started doing my own work and having healthy boundaries and not being reachable all the time all the things that my therapist had made me do over the years like as homework it suddenly put those relationships in a different light and so we just grew apart essentially because I was the only one holding it together and I think that's it was really sad to figure that out at first because you're like well fuck like was that even did they even want to be my friend or am I just like putting in all this effort and you know I was never important but my therapist helped me like reframe it where instead of thinking of it like oh I was the only one that wanted this relationship they didn't even really want to be friends with me that's from like a negative standpoint what if instead we considered that's the role that they know how to fill And therefore, you left that role open and they're like, oh, this is really comfortable in the same way it was comfortable for me. We tend to find and be attracted to these people who play the roles we're looking for. And so in order to grow up, you know, as I and it's not even just growing up, but just choosing better relationships, I've learned to find friends who put in the same amount of effort as me and who meet me where I'm at and who are reachable when I, who I can count on. That's been a really big thing for me. Cause I find it very triggering if someone isn't consistent and I can't count on them. And so if I focus in on that and look for that in relationships in general, I'm much happier. Yeah, that reciprocity is so important.
0: Okay, let's say somebody's tuning in right now and they feel like somebody in their life that they really love is experiencing learned helplessness in some way. Is there a point where they they have to kind of stop encouraging that person to seek help? Um or like, how do you draw that boundary of like wanting the best for somebody, but also taking care of
10: yourself? Does that make yeah. sense? T- no, that totally, it totally makes sense. It's like, where's the line between I love you and want to help you because I want better for you. Right. And I'm lighting myself on fire to keep you warm. Right? Yeah. All you can do is check in on those you love and offer support that you actually can give. Mm. And I know that that's hard to hear, but we can't make people change. One of the biggest learnings, even for myself, I feel like I have to relearn it every day is that I can't control other people. And we often just wish and hope that we could, and, oh, I could move on if they would just apologize, or, oh, if if I could just get them into treatment, they would finally realize, you know, and stop drinking or whatever the problem is, right? We want to check in on, they would finally see that they're they're doing this learned helplessness thing, and then they could get better. Unfortunately, we can't make other people do anything. All we can do is control ourselves. And that means that all you can do is check in, offer support a couple of times every so often. And if they accept it, then you do your part. And if they don't, you move on. And I don't mean move on, like leave the relationship. If you find it's toxic and it's not helpful for you. And also toxic doesn't mean that they're bad and you're good. It just means it's a bad recipe. You know, it's like putting, I don't know, onions and, peanut butter together or something. Um, you're like, whoa, you <laughs> I <know? laughs>
0: love that analogy. Actually, that's so good. Cause I feel like the word toxic and toxicity is so overused and it is mm-hmm. often meant to be like, oh, I'm the good one. And they're the, the shit one. It's like, yeah. no, I love that. It's just a bad recipe. You, your guys's stuff does not mix well together. I yeah. love that. That's such a good takeaway. It's like,
10: you're, f- you're filling that one void, right? Like I was talking about that friend, that that's probably the role she knew how to play. And I only knew how to play this role. And the, both roles weren't good for either, of you know, it's just bad. Right. So, right. So if that relationship, you find that, that they like reach out for help and then don't accept it, you know, cause some people will do that and that's hurtful for you. Then you have, you know, my permission to end that friendship or at least talk about it and move on or whatever is best for you. Um, but unfortunately, if we have a friend in that situation, we can check in on them. We can even mention, Hey, you know, I, I feel like, you know, things aren't going that well. And I just want, but you, again, you can't really call it out. Mm. I think what you're experience- I mean you could try I have a feeling we they'd get defensive or you don't understand right. you don't know them you don't know the situation right. I mean we know how our friends respond and react to stuff like that to feeling like pointed nobody right. likes feeling pointed at so I find it's better to just check in be there if you can in a way that's you know that is okay doesn't take from you it's just part of you know the love in the relationship and that's it you know
0: yeah Right. So like checking it, asking a question. And then do you would you say also like if if there's an opportunity saying, hey, have you ever thought about talking to somebody about this, like a professional or do you even recommend that that opening and delivering that information?
10: I think that's helpful. I think it it will land better if you share your own experience, if you have it. Right. I find that even personally with my friends ends up going a lot farther than me being like, well, maybe you should talk to somebody about that. Because then again, people get defensive. What do you think? I'm crazy. You know, people still have stigmas associated right. with getting help. I find it goes better if you're like, you know, I was going through something kind of similar. Remember when I was having that tough time at whatever, you know, because if they're your friend, they should know. And then you would say something like, yeah, I went and saw that therapist or psychologist or whoever. And it was really helpful. It gave me a perspective. I don't know if that'd be helpful for you, but you know, that was helpful for me.
1: Right. If somebody is listening right now and maybe they are thinking that this might be a problem they have, what are some of the symptoms that, you would use to classify somebody as being hypersexual?
8: Well, if they feel like they are out of control, meaning they've tried to stop multiple times and they can't, if they start to have unmanageability in their lives where um, they're spending more money than they want to be spending. um, They have lots of secrets, lies, problems, excuses. Um, Their social life is unraveling because they keep an open calendar because they're always waiting for the right person to come along, maybe they're underachieving at work because they're spending so much energy on this problem um, or they can't orgasm with a live partner because they're spending so much time looking at porn, um, things of that nature. I mean people generally know when their lives are they have messes in their lives. Mm-hmm. and that's when people usually get help or they get caught. That's the other thing. they blow up their relationships. Um, right. And I think all of us have had bad relationships, especially as women, where we've been compromising ourselves, um, having sex if we didn't really want to, but doing it anyway, um, again, because we think somebody will love us, um, or we think maybe that person can take care of us in some ways, or worse yet, we live in a fantasy of who we want them to be, and we're not a reality of who they actually are on any given day. Right. Can
0: somebody still be considered um, having this? If it's like, do you have to be having sex with multiple people or can you have this with like just the same person over and over again and it can still be addictive or how does that work?
8: Well, I think, you know, there's a gender split in this and it's really kind of challenging to talk about this. But if we're just talking about heterosexual people and a bell curve in general, males will be engaged in sexual behaviors, like at least three, like they're in a relationship, but they're also maybe watching excessive porn or having an affair or going to strip clubs or hiring sex workers or going for sexual massage. There's like a whole group of stuff they're doing in, while in the relationship. Whereas females, they will stay in a bad relationship and keep twisting themselves into pretzels in order to make the thing work. So we might consider that that female is more love addicted um, and less you know, sexually addicted because she's living in a fantasy about potential or who she wants this guy to be, not who he actually is. She's not really in reality about seeing him. Oh,
0: that pretzel analogy is going to stick with me. <laughs> it's so good. Um, uh, yeah. to, uh, as somebody yeah. who had been in a toxic relationship, I completely relate to that and I feel yeah. like sex was kind of the only way we were connecting. Mm. I felt like it was a huge part of the relationship because the other foundational elements just weren't there. You know, there wasn't really a friendship. There wasn't all these other connections that other people seem to have. And so that felt like the one thing that, we should keep doing because it was kind of the only thing that was going right. And it really blinded me to a lot of
8: right. Things. That's great, Delaney. Thank you for making yourself vulnerable like that because that the sex is hot can be really hot in those kind of relationships that are fraught because it's a high arousal relationship. There's an element of not maybe not danger but intensity, and that intensity gets mistaken for intimacy right? It's so wild. It's so passionate. It's so intense, but we can't stand each other. We don't have anything in common (laughs) and our values aren't aligned, but wow, the sex is great. Yeah. Um, That's usually a bad sign because all your energy is getting discharged there. And there's also a whole neurochemical component to it. Also, you know, the novelty factor is very high in those situations.
0: Wow. And it can yeah. make it so hard to go from kind of that type of relationship to like a wonderful, healthy one because of that sex element. Cause you think right. maybe there's something missing sexually cause it's not like this crazy high, but how, do, how, do, how does somebody kind of transition into something healthier and like, I mean, knowing that it's okay that if it doesn't if it doesn't feel the same as it did. Yeah.
8: So if you have a history of dating bad boys or bad girls um, and it feels like you're putting your finger in a light socket right off the bat, I would say that's wrong. And if you're dating someone and it feels kind of boring or average, that's probably right And if you hang in there with that person, the more you build an intimate connection, meaning you're honest, you're vulnerable, you're close in, the more the erotic charge builds over time. Um, And that comes by revealing yourself to each other sexually and getting curious and experimenting and playing in the sexual arena uh, where you're learning about yourself through each other. So it's an inverse trajectory with the the sex addict it's like straight up a steep cliff right and with someone who's not it's kind of a slow oscillating trajectory upwards towards something more erotic intense spiritual beautiful if you will and when you don't have you haven't had that experience the tendency might be one to sabotage that or run and so I encourage people, if you're in a relationship, to stay in it and work through the issues until you just hit a wall and you can't anymore. And if you can't, that's when you say goodbye. But as long as you keep trying and that person is meeting you, then you keep going to see what's there. Yeah.
0: And there are some, um, whether it's treatments or first steps people can take if they are resonating with this right now?
8: Well, there's some simple self-tests that you can look at online. Um, we have some on our website at centerforhealthysex.com. There's a sex addiction screening test. Um, sex and Love Addicts Anonymous have uh, 40 questions. I think it's the 40 questions on their website. I've adapted it on our site also, but generally, if you think you have a problem in this area, you probably have a problem and it doesn't mean that you've got full on compulsive sexual behavior disorder. It may mean that you're on the um, on-ramp or you've always struggled with these issues. And I think a lot of people today are struggling with intimacy issues about what does it mean to experience pleasure, to be close in. We, we put so much focus on uh, performance and penetration in our culture, that that's the definition of sex, right? You've got to look like the, the adult film actors in porn, Um, and you've got to like whatever comes your way and nobody really knows what they like. They're just doing what they think they should be doing, uh, because they're not being themselves. Right. Um, and so there's just a lot of confusion about sex and sexuality. So, um, I think it's useful to have those conversations in the way we are right now, no matter what, to start to get clear about who am I and what do I like sexually? And what do I want in a relationship? Not what's being advertised to me or what's on Instagram
0: what is what's the the biggest or main difference between sex addiction and love addiction like how does that kind of play out what does that look like oh
8: well, they're both problematic relationships with mood altering experiences whereas alcoholism is a problematic relationship with a mood altering substance the the love addict is much more living in a fantasy um, about who the other person is and how they want their life to be. And look, we've all had this experience. You're going away for a weekend and you're super excited about what you're wearing and what it's going to look like and what the weather is going to be like. And you get there and it's not sunny and you only brought sundresses and it's cloudy and it's cold, right? <laughs> and that this you is know? not what my weekend was supposed to look like. And so you can be miserable or you can adjust And the love addict never adjusts. They keep trying to get it to be a sunny day. Meanwhile, they're shivering and acting like everything's fine when it's not fine. When really they just need to go buy like a cheap pair of sweatpants and a sweatshirt and tennis shoes and just go to the movies that weekend, right? (laughs) It's a bust, but make the best of it. So love addicts keep pushing the fantasy of who they want that person to be. They're not really seeing the other person. So they're no more available than the unavailable person they've chosen. So that, that's a big distinction for love addiction. Um, You know, it's like if you go out with somebody and they say they're going to call and they don't call, if you're not a love addict, you're like, huh, if you're a love addict, you make an excuse for it. Um, Right. You keep making excuses for um, and, and things happen, right. People's cell phones die or they run it over with their car or like things happen, but in general, again, it's a more upward trend with somebody versus they're always late. They never call. They're always making excuses. They forget their wallet when they say they're going to take you to dinner. Um, And you're constantly adjusting to compensate for who that person isn't because you need them to be something. When people start to get emotionally sober, when they start to heal, there's a lot of grief and loss looking back and looking at the ways in which we hurt ourselves, women in general are conditioned to submit, to subjugate ourselves to, you know, we're often the keepers of the relationships and we're the caretakers of children and we see the best in everyone and we want it to work out, but right. we will override yeah. our intuition sometimes because of that. Yeah. Right.
0: Can somebody be considered, a is when, when somebody is a love addict, is that in, are they in relationships with multiple people? Is it one person at a time? Are there some typical kind of behaviors it, with those logistics?
8: It can be both. And typically there's an object of desire uh, that the person has their sights on, um, or they get into a relationship through their love addiction and um, they stay in it until there's some rupture in the Relationship where the person becomes more real or more human, um, and then they'll either repair it or they'll go find somebody else pretty quickly. And yeah. you know, and a lot of people will live in these fantasies about other people. You know, it's what uh, Billie Holiday sang about unrequited love. Uh, she said unrequited love's a bore, and it's a bore because it's a one-way street. But stay in these fantasies about somebody who's not available, who's not available,
4: right. and just
8: hoping against hope that they will be. So there can be deprivation in love addiction, also.
7: Yeah. Mm.
1: Do you find that somebody who um, is hypersexual uh, or struggles with sex addiction has a higher chance of also having a personality disorder?
8: I mean, we don't see, when we say we're treating sex addiction, what are we really treating? What are we really looking at? And we, if we even take it further, these are not just personality issues. They are regulatory problems. These go back to infancy sometimes in childhood, where the person didn't get the kind of attunement they needed from their primary caregiver. Their system wasn't set up in a way to be able to regulate themselves under distress, So they use sex in order to feel better. They use sex as an analgesic or um, a way to get high, but anything to run from feelings of emptiness or loss or loneliness, um, which is historical and can be characterological or what we call a personality disorder.
7: Um,
8: So yes, it's often a whole host of issues. Sometimes people have mood disorders also. They're depressed or anxious. So they use sex and love to make themselves feel better. Right. So it's very unique and distinct to the person that's seeking help or that has the problem.
7: Wow. Yeah. Is there
0: comorbidity like on the other end?
8: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say if you have a, go out with somebody and they're a sex addict and you don't know it and you break up with them, it doesn't mean that you have, you know, personality issues because you were, you were, you saw what was going on and you said, no, I'm not going to deal with this, but someone else who's maybe came from a dysfunctional household who had a parent that was maybe alcoholic or sex addict or um, you know gambler or what have you, and they saw that what happened in the parental structure was that you just put up with it, you just overlook it, you just compensate for it, you deal with it. They're more likely to choose an addict as a partner because it's what they know. Mm. So yes, oftentimes we see we can see. Um, sex and love addicts getting together with each other because it's a perfect fit. The sex addict is love avoidant um, and the love addict is love addicted. So one of them is chasing the other and um, neither one of them are available emotionally for different reasons.
1: I've never heard somebody describe somebody who is love addicted as being emotionally unavailable. Right. Because in my mind the idea of somebody being a love addict would be more associated with them being like too emotionally available.
8: No, it's really a one person system. It's all about me and my fantasy of you. It's not who you actually are. Yeah. You know, let's say, let's say we meet Kelsey and we hit it off and we have a great time and I hate cats I'm actually a cat lover, right? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, exactly. this feels like a personal attack. Exactly. i got two of my yeah. cats and the street. Right. And so I come to your house and you have cats and it's not that I'm allergic to them. I just don't like them. Uh-huh. And so I'm going to overlook that, right? By okay. overlooking that, I'm overlooking a fundamental part of who you are. And I'm going to even wedge my way into it in a way where I might start to do something mean to the cats or try to convince you to get rid of them or I'm going to change you to accommodate what I need you to be. That is not an emotionally available person. That is a one person system. And that could be anything from you saying, you don't want to have a baby and I do, but I'm going to change you. Or um, I hate LA, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to try to get you to move. Um, Right? Right. right. So that is, um, there is a lack of real emotional availability there because the person is not in reality.
1: With something like alcohol, that's a substance that isn't required for like a happy, healthy life. Right. That process of somebody getting sober from alcohol versus um, either being sober from sex addiction, you should have sex be a part of your life, you know, <laughs> if, if that's what you want. But that is so much harder, I think, for people to have a healthy relationship rather than just cut it out completely, maybe.
8: Yeah. I mean, it's very challenging because um, abstinence is not a way to live unless you are, you've chosen that life. So, yes, that's why I wrote my first book, Erotic Intelligence, because it was meant to be a guideline for people to have a healthy, happy, erotic life, um, yeah. not one that was filled with pain and trauma repetition and shame and embarrassment, but one that was celebratory over time. And that is a road that people can traverse. I mean, it's very, very doable. Um, sometimes they do have to have stop having sex for, you know, whatever, 30, 60, 90 days, so they can figure out what's what, what's good for them, what isn't good for them. But slowly but surely, sex and relationships have to be integrated again, so that we have a full, vital, happy life, as you said. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Are you able to speak to let's say that somebody thinks that they might be in a relationship with somebody who has compulsive sexual behavior disorder. Mm -hmm. And what seems so tough about that is that something like, you know, somebody struggling with alcohol, um, you know, eating stuff like that, there's evidence, maybe you can find wrappers in the trash or alcohol (laughs) bottles somewhere. But with sexual behavior, I feel like it seems like it could be a little bit I don't know, you can cover it up
8: for sure
0: way, like less evidence. So so what are signs people can look for if they think that somebody they love is struggling with something like
8: that? that's a great question, because, you know, women come into treatment and their partners have been cheating on them for five, 10, 25, 40 years. And sometimes they didn't know. But if you catch somebody doing something once and they say they'll never do it again, that is not a good enough answer. Because sometimes, you know, many of these women that have been in longer term marriages, let's say 20 years plus, did see telltale signs along the way, and their partner said, I won't do it again, and they believe them. Um, So you have to be in a much more explicit conversations about what exactly just happened here, and why did it happen, um, and with whom, and how often... Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, we do have the internet and a lot of people, you know, can be, you can be laying in bed with your partner and they can be cheating on you and you not know it right then and there. Mm-hmm. So being transparent with electronics is certainly one way that you have access to each other's phones. So you can see who's texting, who's emailing, who's talking about what and where on social media, um, that, I think, is a healthy thing for partners to have with each other also, not in a way where it's invasive, where you're checking each other's phones every day, but you should have free access to that phone anytime so you can see what's going on. And if you have nothing to hide, you've got nothing to hide. Um, and that would hold true, too, also, if you were, like, spending way too much money and your partner didn't know about it, they'd see it you know, on your PayPal or Venmo account or something would probably pop up or Amazon, you name it. So those are some ways, but I would say if you have an intuition or you have a spidey sense about something, you should follow that, especially for women um, who tend to override or deny that. There's also the matter now of internet pornography usage, which is a sticky wicket, so to speak. Um, How much is enough? How much is too much? Um does the person feel like um their partner sexual needs are all being met by way of internet porn? Um what other activities are being engaged in there? Are there, you know, cam girls, um escorts being hired, um social media liaisons with high school sweethearts? Like what's going on there also? Um so these are conversations I think couples have to have with each other about what are our parameters? What do we want? Um, and my feeling is that if I'm in relationship with somebody and I want to have sex with somebody else, my partner should be the first to know, not the last to know, right? If I really love this person and really care about them um, and there's a problem in the relationship, then you need to sit down with your partner and say, hey, this is not working for me. Or I'm thinking about cheating with somebody at my office and that's not a threat, but I'm kind of in trouble here. So we either need to work through our sex life or change the parameters of our relationship if it's going to be consensually non-monogamous, but let's do this together as opposed to, um, I'm going to go sneak and do it behind your back and gaslight you and hope I don't get caught because that, that's just a mess and it's traumatizing for everyone. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, so true. As hurtful as it would be, I would want my husband to tell that to me. You know, hey.
8: Well, what kind of hurt would you rather have? Right. Right. Right?
0: I'd be hurt, but I'd be so glad that he told me versus. Finding out. Exactly. Finding out and like. Absolutely. Either way, it hurts, but like that hurts. Yeah. A different hurt.
8: That's right. So pick your pain. And I think we have to be a mature enough culture to start picking our pain and dealing with life. And we don't, you know, we're captivated by this happily ever after myth when we get married. And we think that's the end of the conversation. And it's not. That's the beginning of the conversation.
0: So if somebody has, you know, listened to this episode and they are thinking, you know, I, I think this is me. What is the first step that they can do to like improve their situation?
8: Well, there are 12 step programs so they can check out Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, Sexual Compulsive Anonymous. Um, So there are 12 step fellowships that are free. Um, You can always call our office at Center for Healthy Sex. We have intake counselors that are here all day, every day, and they'll talk to you for 45 minutes. They'll give you resources, whether it's a therapist in your town, if you live out of state, book recommendations, you name it. They're super helpful. Um, And that number is 310-843-9902. And our website, again, is centerforhealthysex.com.
1: I think Delaney and I both found it really fascinating when you were talking about red flags or signs in a romantic relationship um, that you or you and your partner have enmeshment trauma uh, when you are saying that there's an expectation that you both will feel the same way about things. What are some other red flags or signs?
5: Secretiveness. Um, So what can happen for a lot of adult enmeshed children who haven't really Uh, metabolized and healed through some of this pain yet is they fear being engulfed by their parents, but they're decidedly loyal to them. And when they enter into partnership, the same dynamic can perpetuate. So they enter into it from a place of loyalty and obligation, but they also fear being swallowed up by the needs of their partner. So there can be a lot of like passive aggressive distancing and, um, avoidance and they can be, they can have inappropriate loyalties where they remain loyal to their family of origin and don't fully prioritize their partner as their new attachment person. Right. Mm -hmm. So it can look like secrecy, right? I don't tell my partner everything about myself because that feels too vulnerable. If I open up and tell them everything, they're either going to reject me or I'll get swallowed up by by who they are or by the relationship. Sexually, it can look like um, being really hot and heavy at the start of a relationship, but the more you emotionally merge and join with someone, the more you get the ick sexually and don't have desire for your partner, especially in dynamics where there was a hint of covert incest or a sexualized enmeshment with their parent. So that can take the shape in what we've talked about, right? A parent giving too many details about their own sex life. It can also look like a parent who walks around naked or a parent who leaves a lot of pornography around or a child who hears their parents having sex frequently. There's too much closeness and that can create this desire to kind of reject even more The idea of anything sexually with people that you share closeness with because it felt so unsafe for those kids growing up. So in romantic partnerships, it can look like desexualizing your partner and losing desire. And for a lot of people, it feels icky. Like that's the word I hear a lot. I get the ick or it's a disgust or it's like, oh. Right. And when that happens, there's usually some kind of trauma, and it's often a kind of sexual trauma or an enmeshment trauma that is guiding that very strong aversion. Because disgust is a gatekeeping emotion, right? It keeps things and people away that we feel are unsafe in some way. Mm-hmm. It
1: was oh, I mean, this was fascinating. This is been- a life-changing
0: episode. I gotta <laughs> tell you, I am like on the edge of my fucking seat, right? <laughs> so you mentioned that, you know, as a child of an enmeshment that's happening, that it really impacts their de- de- uh, their development, right? Um, what kind of skills or things are they not able to learn as a kid that then they have to like learn as an adult? What are they, what's the gap?
5: I would say one of the biggest gaps is that children who are enmeshed do not have the, they don't develop the skills of interoception. So what that means is the perception of what is internal. They are so overdeveloped in their exteroceptive skills, meaning their perception of what's outside of them, Because their parents' needs have superseded their needs. So children in enmeshed families are really good at tracking their parents and tracking other people, watching for changes in their affect or their behaviors or their expression. They are fixated on what's going on outside of themselves so that they learn what is expected of them and they can pour themselves into the mold of that expectation that is the adaptive strategy that enmeshed children learn to employ so that they have a chance of getting some of their needs met, right? If they do not capitulate to the needs of their parent, they run the risk of being rejected or punished or ostracized or being shamed. So children in this context basically learn to self-abandon because no one teaches them how to focus on what's going on inside of themselves. And how to use that information to set appropriate boundaries for themselves and with other people. So enmeshed children as they get older, again, often go into these into relationships from a place of being very dutiful. I see what's happening with you. And it's my job to make sure you're okay, because if you're okay, then maybe I'll be okay, too. So their work looks a lot like learning how to go inward. And think about what they need and what they want and the difference between those two things and learning how to say no with, with, you know, self-assurance and with the trust that someone can tolerate their no so that they can really enthusiastically say yes and to break out of these patterns of being so obligatory in relationships. And when they can do that and move away from this like obligatory, guilt-driven, shame-driven way of like capitulating to another person, they learn how to be more authentic. And that opens up so much more space for them in their lives to pursue other interests and become creative in different ways and, you know, have more vitality. It's soul-sucking to be in a relationship with someone where you feel like you are only in service of their needs and it's not mutual or relational when people start doing this work, the pendulum can kind of swing really far in the other direction and they might be more entitled. They might be uh, less um, considerate of how they express boundaries because they don't have practice on how to finesse like a way to be relational in boundary setting. So they're afraid to set boundaries because they they do often feel like they're an asshole or they've been told that they're selfish and an asshole by parents who demand that they stay you know, organized around their needs so yeah it's it's like the hardest part of the work I think is to figure out how to uh say no and say yes while understanding that people can be disappointed and frustrated and angry about your decisions and that has that's none of your business <laughs>
7: yeah, yeah. right
5: or it's not your job to take away their feelings by changing your yes or your no right yeah. Hmm.
0: Is there a relationship with um, like PTSD and enmeshment trauma? Is there any kind of other relationships we should know about with other, I don't know, disorders or anything like that?
5: Sure. yeah. Um, an enmeshed dynamic can result in a tremendous amount of anxiety or depression, and it absolutely can result in complex PTSD where there have been a lot of invalidating or abandoning experiences for that child emotionally. And so those, those like death by a thousand poke kind of experiences accumulate in a person's nervous system over time. And that can result in a very, um, uh, sometimes very acute picture, but often it looks like kind of a low grade um, humming in the background experience of PTSD. The other way that it can kind of manifest, I want to just make sure to say this Um, is that in romantic relationships, people often choose a lot of non-starters. That language is from Ken Adams. Um, But they will pick partners with whom there's really no risk of uh, there being a closer relationship than there is with the enmeshed parent. Because unconsciously, even psychologically, to kind of shift the loyalty to a new partner is so threatening to that adult child that they'll... You know psychologically stay married or connected to their parent and just pick people with whom they don't fully merge or connect what
0: a packed episode you guys just full of life-altering education and information like oh my goodness uh here's what i have found to be so fascinating doing this podcast for all these years sometimes at the time i'm recording with a guest I am approaching the conversation kind of um, on behalf of what I think our subscribers would benefit from hearing. And then as time goes by, I may actually experience something that relates to a past episode of ours that, uh, you know, we did a while ago. And I can re-listen to it and soak up all the information from our guests. And it's a totally different experience because I'm now hearing... It as someone who really needs that information versus someone who was trying to ask, you know, a range of the, the right questions to benefit other people, At you know, back then. So this was a, a really interesting experience listening to some of these episodes again. Um, because they actually resonated more with me now than they did at the time of recording. So feel free to go back and listen to any of these full episodes with these guests, you know, the guests that really struck a chord with you today. Um, I know it's helped me a lot. All right. So we do have a quote, uh, quotable of the episode submitted by Karen. Um, you can submit quotes at patreon.com slash self helpless that get read on the podcast. And it says, explain your anger instead of expressing it. And you will open the door to solutions instead of arguments. And that quote's attributed to Ruth Gattori. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Explain your anger instead of expressing it. And you will open the door to solutions instead of arguments. Oh wow. What a quote. I've never heard this one before. So good and and so true. I mean, I think it's like obviously important that you express your anger in like a productive way, but I love this concept of sharing where your anger uh maybe comes from. I know this one hits me hits home for me, especially um for my own relationship because In the beginning of Dating Cam and living together, and for anyone new to the podcast, my husband and I have been together for almost eight years now, I believe, Um, we noticed for both of us that when we explained why something bothered us or why it was important versus just saying like, hey, can you stop doing this? You know, (laughs) Um, it felt easier to accommodate the other person and make a change around that thing. Not saying that you have to explain, explain like every little thing when you express your needs to somebody, but... Um, you know, cause obviously just sharing what you need can a- absolutely be enough. But I find that when I know something a little bit deeper and uh, my husband has shared that this has helped him too, that it almost helps us remember those things better. Like, I think there's a very different energy when it's kind of like, um, Hey, can you not do that thing? Okay, yeah, no problem. I'll keep that in mind versus a conversation where it's like, hey, when you do this fill in the blank, right? It takes me back to this, you know, traumatic experience that I had and I shut down, you know, because of X, Y, and Z. Could you be more mindful about, you know, fill in the blank going forward, right? That just gets lodged somewhere totally different and seems to make things easier for both of us to just not have not need so many reminders about um, those really important triggers like for each other and and all of that. So thank you for submitting that quote, Karen. If you would like to submit a quote that gets read on the next episode, you can do so at patreon.com slash self helpless. And you can also uh, submit and vote on topics over there, uh, submit special shout outs to loved ones that get read on the show, all kinds of cool stuff. Okay, so my hot tip for the episode for you. Um, this is something that uh, Cam and I do for each other and it might be helpful for, for you as well. I don't know. Um, so because Christmas time can be very intense, uh, with all the gift giving and, you know, all the to-dos and all that, we like to just do something together for our gift, I guess, like go out to dinner. We like to usually do a meal and like a couple's massage together for our holiday gift because it's just one less thing, uh, to purchase for somebody, one less physical item, It's also nice quality time, of course, too. But what we actually do is um, we basically postpone a physical gift exchange with each other to Valentine's Day or Valentine's Day week. Uh, So it's kind of like Valentine's Day is like our belated Christmas gift exchange. And it works great for us because we're not really big Valentine's Day celebration people, but it is a nice little relief that like, hey, we always have Valentine's Day. You know, we don't have to. We don't have to put this pressure on each other to like get each other like some big extravagant gift or something. Um, And uh, yeah, it's also just nice to be able to focus on just each other's gift when Valentine's Day rolls around, and not like you know doesn't get buried with like our giant list for family and stuff like that. And um, you know, as people who usually don't really celebrate Valentine's Day in like a big way, and we we don't in the past have never really exchanged big valentine's day gifts maybe little things here and there it is really nice to receive like a very thoughtful gift um you know a couple months after uh, the holiday season and stuff like that so anyway maybe valentine's day will be your new christmas too but this is just uh this has relieved a lot of stress for us the past like i think few years or so we've been doing it and uh, yeah there you go Hot tip for you, take it or leave it. Okay, before we wrap up with our iTunes review of the episode, if you are new here, I just want to let you know that I have an email list where I give all kinds of free stuff away, uh, information about different career opportunities and gigs, media opportunities, private podcast episodes about like unique careers um, with interviews from various multi-hyphenates who are doing really cool stuff, people that you've probably never heard of. Um and it's all free. So you can find all that on my website delaneyfisher.com or you can just click the link in this episode's description next to my name and it'll take you there as well. Okay, so the iTunes review of the episode. This is from Elizabeth Oliver. It's titled New Listener Love It. It says, "I am binging older episodes and love the book reviews. The girls are relatable and real. Keep it up. Happy New Year." Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I also really enjoyed those book review episodes. And my gosh, you're going really far back if that's where you're at. So that's really awesome. A lot has changed since those episodes that you're t- tuning into. So you are in for uh, quite the wild ride. And uh, here's a cool uh, hashtag goals update for all of you tuning into really old episodes or people that have been here you know, throughout the years we used to do a lot of those book review episodes where we would read a book and talk about it and all that with each other. But what's really cool as, um, as the show grew, thanks to all of you, we started being able to get the authors from the books that we love on the podcast and actually talk to them directly um, about the insights uh, of their book. And so uh, I'm just so uh, incredibly grateful for that trajectory and, and you can see that evolution through our episodes of kind of book reviews turning into interviews with authors and stuff like that. So thank you for mentioning that. Gave me a, a nice little moment uh, to reflect on that and feel grateful for that. So, um, yeah, pretty fucking sweet. Thanks, everybody. Uh, love you so much. W- what a cool thing we get to do together. Uh, if you want to leave a review, that will be right on, on the next episode or one of the next episodes. You can just go to the Apple podcast app, click those stars, write a sentence or two and boom, here you go. Here we are. And just a reminder that I'm often recording episodes like four to eight weeks in advance. So if you left a review like yesterday or today, you might not hear it for a month or two, uh, but it's coming, baby. Don't you worry. It's coming. Okay. Have a great rest of your day or evening or whenever you're listening to this. And I will talk to you next week. Maybe I'm Thank you for tuning in to the Self Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this
1: episode with a friend, left an iTunes review, or feel free to post it on your Instagram and tag at Self Helpless Podcast. Thanks, guys.